Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to the Cersei Podcast Network. I'm Joshua Gibbs, and this is Proverbial, the podcast where we explore the wisdom of the ages as it comes to us in Proverbs, by which I mean wise sayings a man may live by, if he's not so arrogant as to think himself special. Episode 23. Something about hotels. Today's proverb is unattributed. I'll read it twice. Desperate times call for desperate measures. Once more, desperate times call for desperate measures. This is a fun thing to say. (laughs) It's a fun thing to believe. It's fun to believe that desperate times have come. Especially since desperate times are, all things considered, rather rare. Modern people like to pride themselves on the idea that they live in the most interesting and the most important era which has ever existed. And I think this idea is both boring and boredom-inducing. Ever since the time of the French Revolution, Western men have believed that they're at the tail end of history, the apex of history, and that everything which came before is less sophisticated, more primitive, and thus more boring. And so we have very odd standards for what makes for excitement. What exactly is exciting? 
What does it mean for a thing to be exciting? I think there's more confusion now than ever on what makes things exciting or what makes them interesting. My students are consistently bad at identifying interesting things over non-interesting things. I think Americans in general are lousy at identifying interesting things. This is why we watch so many terrible movies, is because we don't know what makes something interesting. We don't even know ourselves, and we don't know what we are interested in. We've tricked ourselves into believing we're interested in things that we're not actually interested in. Which is one of the reasons why pop culture moves so quickly. One of the reasons why we cycle through fashionable music and fashionable films and fashionable books so quickly. Because we don't actually know what we think is interesting. We think The Maze Runner is interesting, but we're wrong. We think Matchbox 20 is interesting. But 10 million copies of yourself or someone like you by Matchbox 20 are currently littering the shelves of Goodwill stores across the country. And I think that's a testimony to the fact that we don't actually know what interesting is. I'm going to buy this interesting CD by Matchbox 20. Oops, six months later. I thought it was interesting. It's not. Living in the modern era, we've become incredibly confused and uncertain about what interesting means, what exciting means. Now, I think what this means for us is that when interesting times actually come along, we're delighted. We have a reason to feel the way that we always do when interesting times come along or even when desperate times come along. Finally, something which will actually confirm what we feel to be true all the time. This is an enjoyable excuse for overreacting. Overreacting often blurs the lines between reality and fantasy. When we overreact, we know that something is required of us, but it's perhaps more enjoyable, more pleasant, more exciting to imagine that more is necessary for us to do than is really the case. Desperate times allow you to be a child again. And to pretend that there's great reason for concern. Or great reason for great concern. The other day, four days ago now, I went to the grocery store. And as many Americans found... There was no toilet paper. There were no paper towels. There was no rubbing alcohol. All of the peanut butter, except the most expensive peanut butter, was gone. All the rice, except the most expensive rice, was gone. And on the day that I went, there was a 
almost no frozen vegetables. A lot of the beef was gone. They were down to corned beef, which might have just been uh, an intentional overpurchase with the assumption that St. Patrick's Day would have people buying a lot of corned beef. And all of these things seemed within an acceptable range of possibilities until I came to dried beans. Dried beans were all out. All dried beans. Dried red beans. Dried black beans. Dried pinto beans. Dried garbanzo beans, if that's even a thing. Those were out. I couldn't believe it. They were out of dried beans, the grocery store was, but they were not out of frozen pizza. There was still healthy storehouses of Red Baron pepperoni pizza for sale, freschetta, DiGiorno, Totino's. All the frozen pizzas were still available. And dried beans were out. And I have to ask myself, in what in what nightmare scenario are people being reduced to eating dried beans? Like what honestly try to sketch this out. In what scenario are middle class people in the US looking at one another and saying, thank God we have the dried beans. If it weren't for the dried beans, we would be starving to death. I have to imagine that the whole country would have to be reduced to some kind of walking dead situation, like a police state, in order for people to really be thanking their lucky stars that they had the presence of mind to buy dried beans three months ago, four months ago, a year ago. I mean, if we were actually down to dried beans, if we had exhausted all of our food supplies, if all of the Totinos is gone, if all of the freschetta is gone, and we're down to dried beans, we're cooking these dried beans on fires that are fueled by the wood of our busted dining room tables. Like we are dismantling our furniture for heat to boil water in old tin pans so that we can cook dried beans. If we're actually down to dried beans. Now, I'm not a prophet. I don't know how bad coronavirus is going to get. And it could get pretty bad. But if we were down to dried beans, I would imagine we had nothing else left. People are buying dried beans when they're not buying frozen pizza. They're not buying any number of convenience foods that are sitting on the shelf. At the same time, I get it. I get buying dried beans because desperate times call for desperate measures. 
As a child, especially, I loved a desperate situation. I loved desperate times. I craved desperate times. Whenever there was a fire drill, I prayed the school was burning to the ground because I had this unexplainable belief that if the school would just burn to the ground, my real life would begin. For years, up until quite recently, I always wanted to get evacuated. I lived in Florida for six years, Pensacola. No evacuation the whole time I was there. I felt so chipped when I left. I still dreamed of desperate measures when I was in my late 20s. Maybe early 30s. I lived in Pensacola and I had these fantasies of being evacuated because a hurricane was coming. And in this fantasy, of course, my family uh, has to, in 20 minutes, pack up all of our most valued possessions in the car and drive 200 miles inland. And in this fantasy, you know, I'm, I'm choosing which of my records I care enough about to haul them out. And, and my, what few books I cannot replace and all the things I can't replace that will fit into a box. And you know, this is all part of the fantasy. And we drive 200 miles inland and we get a cheap hotel. And my wife and I drink rum cannonballs and watch the Weather Channel. And Hurricane Sylvia makes landfall. And my wife and I stay up late into the night watching the footage and the kids sleep in the bed next to ours. And it always just seems something so, so romantic about it. I think these kind of fantasies for me started when I was nine years old and carried on quite late in life, even when I was younger. I always thought there was something just sort of delicious about a family vacation where something went wrong. When something goes wrong and you're on vacation, it's kind of like the vacation becomes sentient. Like, it has plans for you. You made plans, but the vacation has other plans. The vacation's going to take you somewhere and show you something you couldn't see before. And a vacation has this odd mystical power of yielding itself to something more like a pilgrimage. And at times it can be hard to tell the difference between a vacation and a pilgrimage. And you always kind of hope that a vacation yields to the higher cause of the pilgrimage. That it, the vacation takes over. Your plans are incorrect. Vacation's taking over. Almost kind of in the same way that a really great conversation nearly has a mind of its own. 
there are things you can figure out in a conversation with another person that neither of you could have figured out on your own. And it's almost as though there's a third person mystically present wherever two are gathered and trying to discern the truth. That where two or three people are gathered trying to discern the truth, it's like the conversation has intentions of its own and leads you somewhere. It's almost like a great vacation is the same way. In the same way that a conversation can take over, have a mind of its own, a vacation can take over. Conversations and vacations, kind of the same. A vacation is like a conversation you have with time and place. Now, I'm, I'm willing to admit that this desire that something on the vacation goes wrong is kind of a childish way of seeing things. The desire for desperate times is a bit childish. But if it's childish, how exactly do you mark adulthood? And what is the adult's belief about desperate times? If the child is zealous for desperate times and love those loves those desperate measures at what point at what point do desperate measures become a, an awful prospect i used to think that adulthood was marked by the moment that driving quit being fun for its own sake. Do you remember? I recall quite vividly, you know, turning 17, 16, I forget, and getting my license. And there was this thrill in just going to the store. When you're 17 and you just had your license, you wait for your mother to comment, oh, we don't have any sugar. I'll get it. Grab your keys. She's saying, no, I can make do without it. I'm like, no, I need it. I want to do this for you. And you just want to drive your car. And maybe becoming an adult means driving isn't fun anymore. When, when driving becomes a chore, you're an adult. Real adulthood might also be the point at which you take a vacation and you really genuinely hope that nothing goes wrong. You hope that desperate times do not present themselves. I now regularly lead 40 high school sophomores to New York for five days every spring. And I pray to God that nothing goes wrong. I know that some of them are rooting against me. I've even begun telling them this in recent years. I don't want anything interesting to happen on this trip. I know you're all rooting for something interesting to happen. Something that causes us to throw our plan aside and something that takes over the vacation. The sophomore trip becomes a pilgrimage. Some unforeseen Hazard is placed in our way. 
that requires all of us to rise to the occasion. I know you think that would probably be great. When I was your age, I used to think the same thing. Now I hope everything goes exactly according to plan. And when something doesn't go according to plan on this trip, you know, I press my fingers deep into my forehead and I sigh and I pray these two word prayers over and over again. Please God. Desperate times, at least when you're a child, often mean hotels. Tell me if this doesn't ring true to you as well. That when I was anything under than 33, maybe, when I thought of desperate times, I thought of hotels. Desperate times and hotels went together. Uh, a few years ago, someone broke into my house. Smashed open the back door. Glass everywhere. Ah, uh, no one was home at the time. Smashed open the back door. Grabbed an iPad. Remember those? And made off with maybe one other thing. I don't remember what it was. And I was at work at the time. My wife was out of the house for 15 minutes. And this was creepy, of course, because it seemed to her, in retrospect, that somebody must have been watching and waiting for her to leave. Whoever came into our house was in and out of our house in probably two minutes. But they opened a few cabinets. They were looking for expensive things. Maybe cash, maybe guns. And then they were gone, and then my wife came back, and she phoned me at work. She phoned me at school, and she said, uh, our house has been broken into. There's some desperate times for you. And my daughter, uh, my oldest daughter, Camilla, was in kindergarten at the time. And so before I drove home, I picked her up. On the drive home, I explained to her that when we get home, there's gonna be some policemen there. And there's gonna be a bunch of glass in the kitchen, which is where the back door was. And I don't want you to worry. And Camilla asked, why are there going to be policemen there? And I said, someone broke into our house when your mother was out and stole some things of ours. And the policemen have come to see if uh, there's any evidence, if the thief left any evidence. And Camilla, who was um, five at the time, she thought about this for a moment. And she became enraged. He should not have done that, she said. I hope he gets caught. He should go to jail. I listened to her for a while. I, I said, yes, what he did was wrong. 
I may have even gotten to the point before we got home of telling her, uh, go a little easy on the guy, whoever it was that did this. But there's no telling what situation he might have been in that led him to have to steal our things. Maybe he was starving to death. I don't exactly remember how far my five-year-old daughter took this tirade of, of outrage that our house had been broken into. Of course, where all of this went was we couldn't stay at our house that night. The back door had to be replaced. And the thief, whoever had broken into our house, we suspected had also done something else while in our house that was a bit uh, anxiety-inducing. Uh, it appeared that while the person was in the house, they had gone around and unlocked some windows that were locked. Thus implying that whoever it was was planning on coming back. This was unnerving. So, packed a bag for the night, went to a hotel. And uh, before going to the hotel, of course, we went out for dinner. We had pizza. I remember this very clearly because both of my daughters were quite clear uh, about their enjoyment of the situation. And I think they would have gladly taken us being robbed every day for the rest of our lives together if it meant that we would get to go out for pizza and then stay in a hotel because my children love hotels. Maybe all children love hotels. I remember though right before we left our house for the night, and it was after dark when we left. I remember standing on the back porch, and this was hours after the police had left. And we had a big stand of trees. I don't know, 50 feet, 100 feet from our back door. And it had seemed quite clear to me that whoever had watched my wife leave and gone into our house to steal our things had been waiting in this stand of trees to see her leave, hiding there. And with the windows unlocked, it seemed that maybe this person was going to come back later that night. Of course, I'd locked the windows, but... I stood on the back porch, and I looked out in the pitch black into the stand of trees. And I remember thinking to myself, man, there's a good chance whoever did this earlier today is out there a hundred feet away watching me standing on the back porch, waiting for me to leave, so I can come back and check my windows. There's your desperate times, at least that's what I felt. And in that moment, um, I waved 
to the trees. I think I yelled out, I'm going now. And I wondered if we were ever gonna feel comfortable in that house ever again. A few months later, dead of winter, our heat went out. The AC unit broke and our house got down to 40 degrees inside. We could all lie in our beds and breathe little ghosts over our heads. And we had to leave. We had to stay at a hotel for five nights. And it was awful because we were renting a house and the owner of the house volunteered to pay for us to stay at a hotel. And he rented, I swear, the, the worst hotel or the cheapest hotel he could find. Of course, when you're a child, you don't really understand the difference between a nice hotel and a lousy hotel. Or a hotel has to be pretty lousy or a hotel has to be pretty nice in order for a child to comment on it. All hotels are equal when you're six. All hotels are the same. And I hated it. Oh, this cheap hotel that was 25 minutes from where I worked. And it was the first time in my whole life that I had hated a hotel this much. And I just wanted to go home. And my children were still loving the novelty of it. And I remember thinking, this, this must be it. This is adulthood. Hating a hotel while my children are loving it. Here's the thing about desperate times call for desperate measures, though. Too often, I think we cite this proverb when we haven't really come to desperate times. Or we haven't come to desperate measures. <laughs> I think when we say this, desperate times call for desperate measures, we might use it a bit glibly. But what we, what we mean is desperate times call for liberal use of the credit card or desperate times justify drinking before noon or desperate times excuse the awful things I'm about to say out loud. And we want our desire for convenience to be covered over and atoned for by this expression, desperate times. Desperate times call for a little distraction. Desperate times call for pizza. This is the child's approach to desperate times call for desperate measures. But really, at least as we consider where we are as a nation at the moment and where this could all go, uh, desperate measures are no fun. Maybe this is the adult's realization that the child is glad to say desperate times call for desperate measures. The child, the immature young man, 
And there's a certain kind of zinging power that shoots through your throat when you finally get to say this. Desperate times call for desperate measures. Because you know you say that when someone objects. No, it's not time for that. It hasn't come to that. There's no excuse for that. There's no justification for that. Well, desperate times call for desperate measures. Man, you must feel like a high school quarterback when you get to say desperate times call for desperate measures. But truly desperate measures are no fun. Desperate measures, really desperate measures, puts you in a state of sheer dependency on God. Desperate measures are not pleasant. Desperate measures are not a distraction, they're not a diversion. Desperate measures imply some kind of deep sacrifice. Desperate times call for all of us to give up our pleasant things and to settle down into an anticipation uh, of the next life when God will finally reward all of our sacrifices. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.